Welcome to Wine and Murder Night, a podcast where two friends discuss and drink to their favorite cozy mysteries. I'm Carolyn Wilkie. And I'm Sabrina Balshausen. I am extremely excited for today's episode because we are taking on pretty much the godmother of cozy mysteries. Yes. Yes. She is the cozy mystery. It is Agatha Christie, whom I love. I'm excited as well. I'm, I'm such a big fan. If you're just joining us, because I've noticed that we get people at the very beginning of our series, uh, the premise of our podcast is that we watch five show five episodes of a cozy murder mystery and review them and talk about the historical context and everything like that with the version of Miss Marple that we're watching today, which is Agatha Christie's Marple. The version that's available was made in the, I think it was the late 2000s. Mm-hmm. And um, it's available on Hulu in America. We decided to do something a little bit different. Normally we start at season one, but because this particular version of Miss Marple had two actresses, we decided to start at season three. That way we get to see one actress for most of the, for the first four episodes we review, and then we'll get to see the second actress at the end, which I'm very excited about. Yes. But I'm also very excited because I have a surprise for you, Sabrina. So... I went, I am a huge used bookstore nerd, and I thought it would be really fun to read some Christie while we're watching Christie. <laughs> and I instead found an even better book. So, do you want to take the ultimate Agatha Christie quiz? Jesus Christ, I will fail. <laughs> but, um, sure. Okay. Uh, what category do you want to start with? Start with, because I will, I will ask you just a few questions, test your question knowledge. Uh, <laughs> characters, suspects, victims, or clues? Hum. Let's go with clues. All right. Page 42. All right. Clues one. What was significant about the book the page boy had been reading in an overdose of death. Are these the American titles? I have no idea. It is. <laughs> they are. Oh no. The problem. <laughs> yes, see, here's the problem. <laughs> An overdose of death is one to buckle my shoe. Oh. And it's it's a Poirot book. And uh, let's see. It's Morley. Each title in it is based on, like, a child's. Uh, it's a nurse. It's a child's nursery rhyme. Do you want the answer? <laughs> yeah, because I know the book, but Jesus Christ. The time mentioned in the book eleven forty five was the exact same time Dr. Morley was murdered. Ah! Ah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> let's let's do a character. Yeah, sure. This one is probably the same in both. Uh, in the murder of Roger Ackroyd. Okay. <laughs> like, first book. <laughs> first book. <laughs> what was Roger Ackroyd's profession? A. Country Squire. B, wheel fabricator. C, construction engineer. D, knife manufacturer. The fuck? (laughs) Um. 25% chance on getting it right. So, he was already retired when he died. And he had been wealthy (laughs) before. I was like, uh. And he was obsessed with, like, vegetable marrows. The fuck was he wasn't a country squire to begin with, I don't think. But maybe. Oh no, wagon wheels. That is correct. <laughs> Good job. Uh, I'm gonna give you another multiple choice one. What was the name of Poirot's client in the Nemean Lion? 
which is, I probably pronounced that wrong. A, Charles Kent. B, Sir Joseph Hagen. C, Alexander Eastley. Hagen. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> this is the really, right. this is the funniest short story because the Nemean lion is a fucking Pekingese dog. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. The Pekingese dog has been kidnapped. That's great. All right. Last one. This one's for all the, all the money. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, I hope this is a both title. What was the occupation of Colin Lamb in The Clocks? A. Scotland Yard Inspector. B. C. Biologist. C. Teacher. D. Journalist. Colin Lamb is a, a pseudonym. Okay. What was his occupation? He was a marine biologist. That is correct! <laughs> but he's actually a spy for MI6. And also... Uh, <laughs> gotta love an Agatha Christie twist. Oh, yes. I was so excited. I also got uh, a... One of the... I got a G.K. Chesterton book. Oh, yay! Like, ah. G.K. Chesterton actually shows up in the uh, novel version of the show we're watching today. <laughs> well, do you want to get right into it? Of course. Don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> Uh, what are you drinking for today's episode? I'm drinking a, hey, I'm back on my bullshit, drinking a Riesling. <laughs> yes! It is a Skip is Not Riesling, Washington 2015. It is $5 at Lidl. Wow. I'm really back on my bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that is, the, that is it possibly peak Sabrina. Mm-hmm. I am drinking Black Cabra from Argentina. It's a 2017 Malbec. I have reservations. No. We'll see. I'm drinking it. Well, today we're watching Agatha Christie's Marple, Season 3, Episode 1, at Bertram's Hotel. We open with a flashback, 1891, and you can tell it because they use a sepia filter. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but it's Miss Marple as a girl being welcomed to the Bertrams Hotel. And then we get to see Miss Marple in the present being welcomed again. You also get to hear the newspaper boy yelling about the dead millionaire. So that's going to be a plot point. She walks in and the hotel is bustling. Yes. Uh, and we are very quickly introduced to... Six, many, many characters. Six million characters, which is a thing in Agatha Christie, which is, I admit that I have picked up in my own writing, in that I'm very, very good at writing a lot of side characters and confusing the fuck out of you. You're like, okay, why have I met 20 people in the first chapter? Wait, <laughs> wait, what's happening? I haven't read Christie in a while, and... I was kind of hoping for like a 1920s mystery, but this one is set in the 1950s. It's set, so we're 19, getting, it's set in 1955. Yep. Getting yet another post-World War II episode. What I like about this one, though, is because it's London, there are a lot more people of color. <laughs> yeah. It, well, I feel like in this, that was, um, it was kind of intentional. Yeah. And in this particular not kind of intentional. It was obviously intentional. Mm-hmm. And in this particular episode, one of the very first characters we meet is Louis Armstrong. Yeah. <laughs> and a jazz singer, Amelia Walker, mm-hmm. uh, both of whom are African-American. African-American. Well. And so would be allowed to stay in a place like Bertram's in England because mm-hmm. there's desegregation happened way before, um, it happened in America. So uh, I th- I just liked it. I was like, hey, look, black people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we also get to meet uh, Elvira Blake, who fa- rather rudely grabs the bag from the bellboy, mm-hmm. which was, okay, sure, fine. Was that Elvira or was that already Bess? No, that was Elvira. Okay. That was definitely Elvira. Oh, yeah, because she uh, walks in with her friend Bridget? Yep. Yes. 
You also get to meet Humphreys, the hotel manager who's very busy Mm -hmm. and yelling at people. Um, And one of those people he yells at is the maid, Jane. Of course, it's Martin McCutcheon. Obviously, we all know her. You, you, she's in everything British, but she was in Love Actually, which I have to watch that, soon. Uh, I love it, Love Actually. I love Love Actually. Love Actually is a black is my Black Friday film because I don't shop uh, on Black Friday. Well, I don't shop on Black Friday either because I'm bad at gift giving. I shop on <laughs> I shop on Cyber Monday. Yeah, we're millennials. We don't we, we don't Black Friday. We also get a man trying to drop off a letter for Lady Sedgwick. We get. Uh, Lady Selina greeting Miss Marple, and we finally realize why everybody is there. It is for the late Mr. Blake's will reading. Yes. And she goes on and on about him and how she knew is only his third, is his third cousin. But mostly she ends up talking about how much she loves Bess Sedgwick and how impressive she is and how she's like wrestled lions and stuff. And was a part of the French resistance. Yeah. She's trying to have like a nice cup of tea with uh, Miss Marple, but Mr. Armstrong starts playing in the ballroom. I know. I love it. He gets warned by Humphreys to kind of keep it not too jazzy. No, no, really what he's trying to say is, don't be so black. (laughs) Yeah, that was literally, I was like, oh. He's saying, please stop being so black in my hotel. I mean, we we like that you're here, but like, stop being so black about it. (laughs) Meanwhile, we follow Jane up to the roof, who is looking for another one of the maids, um, her friend Tilly. Another five British actor. Oh shit, is she? Yes. She used to be on a adventure show, like an episodic adventure show called Primeval. Oh okay. Yes. Yeah. I know the show Primeval. I didn't I didn't watch it, I don't think. I mean, I only saw, like, three or four episodes on uh, sci-fi. Oh. She also happens to be, and this is the more fun part, not only is she a five British actor, she's a five British pop star. Oh, yay. She was part of S Club 7, if you remember that group from the late 1990s. Oh, my word. But Tilly is wearing a very, very expensive bracelet. <laughs> and Jane's like, what the heck? My mom told me to put my money in jewels. I don't that That's bad advice, mom. Don't put your money in jewels. I mean, maybe in the 1950s. I guess. Seems to me like investments are still probably the way to go. Yeah. Anyway, in the ballroom, the music grinds to halt, a sudden halt, as Lady Sedgwick walks in. <clears throat> Eventually, she ends up going out for a smoke, and she recognizes the doorman, Mickey, who tells her he was waiting for her. Michael Goldman. Mm. Yep. Mickey the Irishman. Like, really, Agatha? You couldn't have <laughs> come up with another... Because that's his name in the book, too. His name is Michael. <laughs> Like, you couldn't, you couldn't come up with it. Like, that's almost slightly, like, it's almost slightly racist. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And not yeah. even racist, because Irish isn't a race. But, um, like, it's almost... It's a- certainly towing a line there with some, uh, stereotypes yeah. there, Miss Agatha. This whole setup, and especially this very next scene where a man in clear makeup and blush and, like, this hair... German guy walks in. It's Mutti. Mutti. With all of his 
hat, hat boxes. boxes. He is a five for detective. He is indeed a five British actor. <laughs> <laughs> it's Danny Webb. He's been in Father Brown. He's been yep. in Pro Row. He's been in Scott and Bailey. He's in Death in Paradise. He's in I can't. He's in Sherlock. I was like, I can't read my handwriting. <laughs> he is in all of the things, but usually not in makeup. Yes. But this particular scene, like, the whole, like, feel of this, like, setup for everything, which took a long time. Yes. And introduced us to 18 million people. You've already heard the Oliver clip, like, 20 times. Yeah. Sorry. Had... About that. <laughs> sorry. Are we? Are we sorry? We're, We're not, not sorry. sorry. <laughs> It was it was so like circus like and like almost like so bright and over the top that it felt like it was trying to almost be like a fantastical world, mm-hmm. which I don't think was necessarily a bad thing, but it definitely like threw me for a loop because we've been watching these Father Brown and and Midsummer before that, mm-hmm. which are two cozy mysteries that take themselves rather seriously. Yeah, and what's weird is that. Like, in the book, when Marple, like, comes back to Bartram's, she f- everything feels off. And she mentions that when she's talking. Mm-hmm. She's like, it hasn't changed, and that's not a good thing. And so yeah. everything is off, and it's almost like everything is a stage play. And they really played it up in the television show. Like They really did. They really played up the everything. Like, everyone has these dramatic entrances. And I think I even wrote that down. Dramatic entrance. Yeah, all I wrote was... Dramatic entrances. <laughs> and so it really is. It's like everyone has like uh, the camera like sets on them and they do something and they say something. And, and Mr. Humphrey's on the phone being very dramatic and like, no, you can't have this. That's the American room. And, and hold the hold the lift. And and Louis Armstrong and, you know, and then it's suddenly become like a jazz free-for-all and everyone's dancing. And there's yeah. the, the mysterious fauna with a heavy accent looking for Sedgwick. And it's all very, mm-hmm. very, very played up. And in the book... It's cartoonish. And in the book, there's a reason for that played upness. But it's never really given that we're supposed to, like, this was made... For people who are like, this is what a hotel in London in the 1950s was like. Mixed race and and crazy and a city that never sleeps. I'm sorry. Was, yeah. was, that, a good, it, it, was that a good 1950s voice? It was. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, that's exactly how it felt. It felt like it felt like that affectation that people would have on the radio, but like in front of my eyes yeah. at Bertram's Hotel. Yeah. The party never stops. Which is weird, because it was supposed to be an Edwardian, like, it never changed, like, you were supposed to go there for high tea, and you could have seen, you know, King Edward the Sixth just walk in for his afternoon mm-hmm. Ceylon. And so it was, like, it was a very staid place, but obviously the hustle and bustle of London has encroached upon the staidness of the, you know, <laughs> Bertram's Hotel. There, there's, there's no more cartoony scene, though, than when we meet Mr. Mutti, and he's kind of chatting back and forth about his hats with Miss Marple, and, and I forget who else, but he goes, no hats for you. Yes. <laughs> no hats for you. And then he kind of glimpses Lady Sedgwick and faints, like, or has a, has a, uh, a startling faint- moment. A startling moment yes. and he's like calling for water and all of that everybody rushes over to help. i immediately knew he wasn't looking at cedric even when we learn why he has that startled moment later i immediately knew he was looking at the thing behind her because that is such a cozy mystery trope and i was like oh i know what this is gonna be this is gonna be a world war ii thing immediately i was a little sad that we were getting a world war ii thing like what the i'm fuck not gonna lie <laughs> But uh, spoilers, there is no World War Two thing in the book. I mean, they talk about the war because Goldman was in the war. They mentioned that in the TV show too. But it, but mm-hmm. there is spoilers. There's no World War Two thing in the book. After this love long day 
of madness at the Bertram Hotel. Miss Marple orders some tea. Uh, Tilly brings it up to her. Uh, Miss Marple looks at her. She's like, oh, that's the smile of a woman who's got a night off. And Tilly's like, oh, I just had some good news, mum. We go kind of all around the hotel looking in on Lady Selina, who locks her jewels in the safe. Tilly, who writes a cryptic note in her diary. Lady Sedgwick receives a note in blood-looking writing that says, Die! One of the Breton twins is reading a paper with a headline that says, Safe Cracker... Hang on, hang on. Gotta get my 1950s voice on. Safe Cracker Thieves Strike Again! (laughs) Close. Close. You gotta work on that. I, you know, I'm so used to like the modern day breaking news voice. Oh yeah, the yeah. 1950s Okay, I'm gonna adaptation. I'm gonna tell you guys something. When we get started, she goes NPR voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let you know that Carol puts on an affectation. That's fine. It's 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 her podcast voice. I don't put on. It's just a, it's just a open. Everybody knows, like you can hear my voice change. My open is like so smooth and cool, and, and then you start listening and you realize I am not smooth or cool and at all. I don't change my voice at all, and that's because realize... you have a beautiful accent. I also have a very deep voice, so I already have the nineteen fifties voice. No, no, it's not the voice. It's an affectation. It's oh, a manner it's, of it's of, it's of how you staccato talk. It's words. Almost, it's almost like William Shatner, except a little bit sped up. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what oh. it is. <coughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> whoa, choke on the wine. That's not a. That's not an indication of how bad or good it is. That's just how badly <laughs> I drink. Oh. I don't know. It's five dollar Lidl. Uh, the next morning. Jane goes looking for Tilly out on the roof again. And she's dead. <laughs> this jazzy intro for the inspector! Oh my god! Oh my god, oh my god, it's Inspector Larry Bird, it's Stephen Morgan, who is in Dirt Gently. Cheerio, but be back soon. I don't know, somehow, I'm Misham. I love you, that's why I'm Cheerio. But really, I don't know him from his acting. I know him for him. He's on every British panel show ever. Eight out of ten cats. Would I lie to you? Just all of them. And I have seen him live. (laughs) He's a comedian. And so comedians Uh... do panel talk shows all the time. And he's on the BBC Radio 4. And I feel like he went to Oxford or Cambridge. And um, so he's one of us. But... I adore him for him. And so, like, when I looked him up on IMDb, because I immediately recognized him, I was looking through his filmography, and I was like, I don't know who the fuck this... I've never seen any of these except Dirt Gently, because I love Dirt Gently. Mm -hmm. And then I scrolled up and clicked on Self, and I was like, oh, I have seen all of these. (laughs) I didn't know him. I didn't notice him. Uh, Not notice him. I didn't know who he was at all. I would not have pegged him for a fine British actor. What... I was, I was just so enthralled by the score that I was expecting somebody stupid handsome to walk out of that car <laughs> to get out of that oh. car, and then we get the inspector who is not not good looking, but he's certainly not like he's steely eyed Hugo Spear. You know what I mean? Here's the thing, guys. He's British good looking. He's the best we're going to get out of Britain usually. <laughs> like everyone's like all about. Tom Hiddleston and Benedict Cumberbatch, and they're tall, oh. awkward-looking fucks. Like they are tall, yeah, yeah, tall and awkward. That's that's the British way. And so here is Stephen Morgan or Morth- I- Mongan. Mongan. I I literally cannot read my handwriting, guys. <laughs> I was taking notes really quickly and can't fucking read any of it. <laughs> so this Stephen is Mongan. why it takes me so, like look, two and a half hours to watch these shows. He's tall. He's brunette, but he's slightly awkward looking. Uh, he's in the vein of Tom Hiddleston and Benedict Cumberbatch, except that American women haven't creamed their pants over him for some reason. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I was like on the fence about Inspector Bird until this very next scene when he gets, uh, he goes and talks to Humphreys in his office and he, the hotel manager 
basically is like, you look real young to be an inspector. Like, what's going on here? And he's like, takes him to task. I know. He's like, I led my, like, I led my uh, company. What he says is, I was 22 when I was made commander of my company in Morgan, in Nor- Morgandy. Morgan. <laughs> Normandy. <laughs> I need to close the IMDb page. <laughs> But I thought that, I mean, it was well delivered. And then I was like, all right, Inspector Bird, you're kind of hot. So he's a comedic actor, full definitely, mm-hmm. but he's got, he's got such good range. So anyway, with the hotel manager's blessing, he goes and interviews everyone who's about to speak to <gasps> He went to Cambridge! Sorry. <laughs> the big news that we learn is that Tilly was wearing one of the black hats, like, uh, basically Lady Sedgwick's hat. Oh, he went to the wrong college. It's okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jane kind of, like, has a moment of recognition that she recognizes Miss Marple from some of her adventures elsewhere, reading about her. Yeah, and also, what's weird is that she actually works for Miss Marple in another episode, I think. Or someone with her name. Jane Cooper works, in the book, Jane Cooper is actually one of Miss Marple's old housekeepers, old maids. Oh... I recognize Jane Cooper as the name. She's not in the book, but she is one of Miss Marple's old maids. So that's why they kind of have an affinity for each other. In the show, she definitely is more of a, I read about you and think you're cool. And because she knows who Miss Marple is, she helps her uh, sneak up onto the roof so that she can see Tilly's body. And they discover that the hair under the hat is messed up. Meanwhile, Lady Sedgwick confronts her lawyer, lawyer, Curtin, about the accounts that Mr. Blake had and where all the money seems to be going. And he's kind of shady about it. And Jane also explains to Miss Marple what the American rooms are and why the hotel is always a little off and why nothing has changed. And it's because they're attempting to preserve this experience for any American guests Mm -hmm. because this is how they expect London to be. Which I think is really funny because there are so many places in London that still do that. (laughs) But um, in in like in real life and I lived in Marlebone, which is in fucking the middle of London uh, when I lived in London. Of course I did. Marlebone hasn't changed since the 1800s. Like, when she talks about it, Bertram's is adjacent to Marlebone, basically. So she talks about going to Madame Tussauds, which is, like, walking distance from my old flat. And so, like, London, that part of London hasn't really changed. And for good reason. Minus the fact that it's now, like, little, like, little Saudi Arabia. (laughs) Like, it's a very Arabic neighborhood. It's like old London, but you can get better food oh yeah old london and (laughs) you can go to a hookah bar like it's very it's very strange it's like london that vapes yeah meanwhile we get a very unnecessary camera angle that is this this whole thing like even now that we have a death, we are still getting this very cartoonish feel. I like think we get we were supposed to be we were supposed to feel off kilter the entire time. I guess it, this is unnecessary. I did not appreciate the biting of the biscuit from the biscuit's point of view. Well, so Muddy is taking surreptitious pictures of all of the guests. Oh, Mutti. In the elevator, uh, Elvira has taken a shine to uh, Mr. Mal... What was his name? Malinovsky. Malinovsky. And kind of corners him in the elevator to try and get him to ask her out. And reveals that Bridget has polio. And it's basically her fault. Mm -hmm. Which is a weird thing to reveal to a dude that you want to try and date you. Yeah, Bridget in the book does not have polio. Bridget does not show up very often in the book, just as a general observation. Like, what's weird is all the characters that are named, except the inspector, because the inspector is two people. Like, the inspector in the book is, like, two people, basically. And so they kind of merged him into one and made him skinny instead of fat. In the the book, 
the the guy, the inspector, is a really fat old man, basically. <laughs> they keep talking about his fatness. So what's what's weird is when you're reading the book, you recognize all the characters, but they don't act like the television show. So they were making reference to the book, but adding all this other plot shit. Yeah, the the based on is very loose yes. in this episode. Oh, very. Incredibly. <laughs> so Jane goes to talk to Mickey. Uh, we, it is revealed that he is a painter and that in his room, you can kind of hear people talking through the pipes because it's a very old building. And while they're there... And that's a real thing. Oh, yeah. That is, absolutely. Yeah, that is a real thing. And it's so cool. My room at Cambridge did not have talking pipes, sadly. But I had friends who had. So we would actually talk through the pipe. Like, legitimately. <laughs> to talk to people. And they would, like... When we figured it out what happened, we found out who was, like, on the other end. And we would, like, have, like, these long... Not long, but, like, conversations sometimes. And you could still hear it. Like, people would would tend to forget, so you'd hear these conversations where they'd be on their mobile, and you'd just hear them, and we would, like, add our own conversation to it. Well, that's basically what happens to Jane and Mickey, yes. is they hear some dude on the phone, like, talking to somebody in German, mm -hmm. looking for his papers so he can go to South America. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, the rats fleeing the ship. The rat line. Secret Nazis. Of course. Like. Secret Nazis. Okay, guys. There are no secret Nazis in the book. Secret Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> but none in the book. <laughs> but none in the book. <laughs> Which is just kind of like my refrain. <laughs> so far. Elvira <laughs> so ends up confronting Lady Sedwick about Malik. Koski. God, I spelled his name five different ways in this. Malinkowski. Malinkowski. Yeah, I definitely missed the N and the W when I wrote it down there. Um, and Miss Marple overhears kind of how they have a relationship, but Lady Sedwick won't divulge it. Mm -hmm. And she reveals that she found a bloody paper that Lady Sedwick had dropped. Mm -hmm. And it says, Tonight. At the wheel well reading, which is, of course, why we're all here. Uh, yeah, that doesn't happen in the book either. <laughs> in the book, the reason Miss Marple is in London is because her um, her nephew's wife wants to send her on holiday, so she doesn't. So she has a nice, relaxing trip, and Miss Marple's like, "No, I want to go to London," and she's like, "You know, like Bournemouth, Tolkien." All these nice, relaxing, and she's like, "Nope, London." I think that's just as flimsy as a reason of a reason as as this will reading. It's, it's totally, it's totally a flimsy reason. Uh, there wasn't a good reason to be at Bertram. She could have come up with any other reason. Well, at the will reading, the TV only will reading, the curtain reveals that in the will, Lady Sedwick gets a third. His daughter by his first marriage, Elvira, gets a third. And the Blake Foundation, his charitable foundation, gets a third of his estate. And this was very Mean Girl scene because it was very much a third for Lady Sedwick, a third for Elvira, a third for the foundation, and none for Lady Selena. <laughs> none for Selena Coco. Sorry, darling. But on the way out, Elvira notices that this, the painting that hangs in Bertram's is now hanging in, or a copy of the painting that hangs in Bertram's, which is a Rembrandt reproduction, is oh, hanging. is it? Shh. Spoilers. I care. At this point, really? It's fake Nazis. What the fuck do you think? <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that painting is hanging in the lawyer's office now. Yes. Anyway, giving... Uh, Tilly's mother's her things Jane finds out that Tilly was stepping out with someone and that's where all of the extra money was coming from and she thought it was Malinkowski mm. and the very next scene reveals that Malinkowski is carrying Nazi paraphernalia and talking about how bad the Jews are no not how bad the Jews are remember Walker walks by and they're actually Muti and Mal. See, this was what what fucking bothered me. He's a Nazi hunter. Spoilers, but him mm -hmm. and Muti 
all like standing and talking. And then Angela Walker walks by and they say something so awful and racist. And I'm like, I already knew. Even when I, like, because here's the thing Malinkowski is a Polish last name. They're not Nazis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I definitely thought that was a weird thing. I already knew that he wasn't a Nazi and that he was probably looking for Nazis. But then when he was standing next to Mutti, I was like, well, that's not the Nazi. <laughs> Never mind. But then because of Father Brown, I was like, oh, it's Canon Penny, whatever. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I was like, well, that's been done. I mean, if we're going to just skip ahead in the plot, then it was so crazy that, like, we literally just watched the Father Brown episode that could have been this Miss Marple episode. Or at least the the, the B plot of the Miss Marple yeah, episode. Yeah, so it's not the main plot, guys. Sorry. And also, it's also not in the book. Again, in the elevator, mm-hmm. Elvira asks why Miss Walker hates Lady Sedwick, and she goes, Bess took my husband and didn't give him back. <laughs> and then in my head, I'm like, oh, was her husband white or black? Well, so for me, this didn't ever get played out. This, I thought this was a weird dangling Yeah, so thing. there were a lot of extra plots, like extra subplots, but I think it was to give... They, they put it in there... To give to make Amelia seem like a suspect. It was a red herring, but it was it was very much a red herring. But they didn't ever wrap it up at the end, like they wrapped up all the other red herrings. Mm-hmm. And I was a little annoyed by that. Well, in the see, because in the book, Cedric actually has four husbands. In the TV show, she only has the two. Aha! Well, who wouldn't want to marry Lion Wrestling Best Sedwick? Lion Wrestling French Resistance Best Sedwick. Right? If she weren't such an awful person, I'd look up to her. <laughs> uh, Miss Marple, though, does eventually, in the lobby, after noticing the Rembrandt has been moved, have a quick aha moment about the hats. She kind of corners Inspector's bird and talks to him about the three hats and how the three women look very alike with the hats on. Um, especially Elvira and Miss and Lady Sedwick. And this was an excellent bit of casting because I had definitely mixed those two women up several times. She talks, she tells them this whole big long story, which Miss, you know, Miss Marple loves an extended metaphor. She goes, something's going to happen. And it seemed like it came after Tilly's death, but it instead really came first. Mm-hmm. So then everybody kind of goes to dinner and scatters and does their own things. And, Inspector B goes up to talk to Jane on the roof and it's real cute. Like normally I'm like not about the romances in these mo- these shows, but this is really cute. Yeah. Yeah. Jane is like a mini Miss Marple, but she's more um policey about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. More circumspect. So like I, I I dig it. I really liked the bit that um the inspector's been kind of brusque with everybody, which is, you know, he's doing his jobs so that's not surprising but he's a little bit brusque with jane and she goes like why are you like this and then she's like oh it's been a difficult war and i liked i liked that like the the connection between the two about world war Two and how it affected their lives both at home and then away like i'm obsessed with second world war i really 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 am not that I want to live through... I don't want to live through Third World War. Because really, it won't be as stunning as the Second World War. It's just we all die of a nuclear fallout. It's not going to... It's not It's not going to be as drawn out. It really isn't. Not, not, to, not to be, you know, depressing or anything, but... But, like, the reason why I'm obsessed with the Second World War is literally because of the French Resistance. But also because it was one of the few wars, with exceptions... Where we were actually fighting something truly evil in fascism, mm-hmm. like we were, tr- we were fighting the last great evil. Well, clearly not the last. Maybe not the last. And also, I'm not saying that the USA and and Britain and France did anything good in this war because they didn't. They were all anti-Semitic too. They just didn't send them to concentration camps and ovens. But they were like, eh, we don't really, we still don't want you in our country. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that they were fighting for the right reasons. 
But fighting against fascists now seems like a good cause. Generally, generally a good cause. Oh, that got depressing. I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, like two days ago was, no, yesterday was both reunification day when the wall came down and the, mm-hmm. the, uh, Restprogrammnacht or Kristallnacht as you call it here in the United States. Oh yeah, and tomorrow is, is the uh, hundred year anniversary of Armistice. Uh, what is Armistice. it? The end of World War Two. Yeah, World War One, darling. But yeah, sorry, World War One. It's Armistice Day, uh, and it's Remembrance. It's Remembrance Sunday. It's Veterans Day. So, um, so it's kind of a weird. So I'm getting philosophical about war because. Of reunification and Lex Pogrom, and um, I, I probably shouldn't call it Lex Pogrom, but um, or Kristallnacht and uh, Remembrance Sunday. So I'm feeling a little like, what would I do in this situation? And I know exactly what I would do because I hate fascists. Well, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a little weird. I'm sad that we're watching a Second World War thing and being like, yeah, this has this has echoes, dude. Uh, history, man. Mm-hmm. Actually, this this wine is actually this wine is not bad. So all through this. Lady Selena has been trying to have dinner with this priest. And one of the major clues that he's not a real priest and that we're just following the Father Brown plot is that, of course, they get to have dinner. She and Miss Marple get to have dinner with him and he doesn't actually know who his bishop is. Mm -hmm. So that's a thing. However, the big thing that happens at dinner is that the girls come in and out in their concert clothes the twins come in and out. We haven't been talking about the twins. There's a set of twins played by one guy with yep. Camatrix. Burns, who got very high billing in this yeah. uh, for how little he's actually yeah. in it. Because <laughs> he's in there twice. Yeah. So, uh, but the best thing that happens. This is when probably. Oh, yes. When the, when the drop of water goes out from the sheriff's penis. Sheriff's penis. I don't know if it was like I mean clearly that was intentional I don't know if that's a we snuck it in or a directorial choice I love that they probably spent a shit ton of money on CGI on that just (laughs) just gotta render that penis real good Like, I, love, I love that that was the the scene where they're on the roof and she says, um, but even London looks beautiful from up here. And then it's like a shot of London. That was obviously CGI because you oh, cannot, so you cannot see CGI. that many stars from London at any point. Yeah. I don't know if Londoners even know what stars are because of the light pollution. but um, And especially not in the 1950s, too, when they didn't have nearly as many environmental protections and air quality the, shit. In the novel, the whole shooting scene, and I guess in the television show, takes place because of the fog. And the yes, fog in yes. London in the 1950s, everyone thinks it's a stereotype. No, it was that bad. And actually, there are days when it is that bad. For like 20 minutes. So what happens is because of all this water flowing down, the light goes out in the dining room and everybody gets ushered into the front the room mo- to uh, like... The morning room. The morning room. Sorry, there is a difference between the front room and the morning room. And... Just saying, you should know that. Why would I know that? I would never know that. <laughs> I am the American half of this podcast. The front room is, I've the never front been room in a morning you, room in my the life. The front room is where you deposit guests who are coming to visit so that you can prepare for them. And the morning room is where you sit in the morning after breakfast. That sounds terrible. So as Sabrina alluded to, in the fo- out of the fog comes a woman dressed all in black with a black veil and a black hat. And everybody goes, oh, it's Bess Sedwick. She's abandoned her car. Like, it's Bess. And then... There's a gunshot out of nowhere, and there's a sniper, and Mickey runs out to try and save Bess, and he gets shot. And then Bess exchanges her gunfire, and 
Miss Walker walks outside and goes, that's enough? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's revealed that it wasn't Bess all at all long. It was Elvi- Elvira. Uh, Elvira. Yeah. And the inspector and twin two break into the room that the sniper was shooting out of, but it's empty. <gasps> Much like we were foreshadowing in the note, it was room 123. Of course, the inspector rounds everybody back up because another person has been killed. Only one person is murdered in the book, and that's Michael Gorman. Tilly does not exist in the book, by the way. The one thing we do find out is that Bess wasn't in her room during the night of Tilly's murder, like she said she was. But we also find out that it was... Bridget's room that was the one that overflowed into the dining room. And we know from earlier that uh, Elvira had arranged for Bridget to have that room specifically because it was next to her. Mm -hmm. Selena reveals that she has no money. And so she goes, I guess I'll just have to hawk my mother's jewels. And then she opens the safe and her jewels are gone. No, not the jewels. Who could have seen that coming? Meanwhile, they find out that room 123 is registered to a Mr. Jackson, a Blake Guest. This is the first time we are hearing about the term Blake Guest, and we are very close to the Mm -hmm. end, because you can tell, because I don't have a whole lot of notes left. (laughs) (laughs) I took three and a half pages of notes, and we are on page three. Jane and Miss M are basically doing pulling double duty with Inspector Bird as, you know, like constables, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they discover that while Mr. Bird had thought the room was locked from the inside, it clearly wasn't. Nope, because it had already been unscrewed. Mmm, Jane Cooper with her SMRTs. Her thick thighs and her SMRTs. Um, <laughs> what the fuck? That was a Love Actually reference. Come on. I know. You watch it every Black Friday. You should I know. No, no. I I know. I know. Oh, my God. So the thing about Jane Cooper and Larry Bird is that because Larry Bird went to Cambridge, he sounds like me. As in, he sounds like a posh kid. And Jane Cooper most definitely does not. He does mostly sound like a posh kit, but you can tell he tries not to at times. But only when he's speaking with Jane, he tries to unposh himself. I think actually it was more so he forgot to unposh himself in other scenes because he tries to with Humphreys as well. Like he definitely has a less posh accent when he's talking to Humphreys. He's, he's, He's unposhing himself when talking to the working class, which is so weird. Like, you don't have to do that. Uh, code switching. I know, I know. And I'm such a bad code switcher that my students make <laughs> fun of me. Because um, I try and say, ball so hard. And it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't, <laughs> Not in that just, voice. It absolutely doesn't work. Can you just say it for me one more time? Ball so hard. <laughs> Please use that as your text message notifications. One more time. Give me a good, good, super clean take. Uh, Ball so hard. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, but, like, I'm aware, because I lived in, so here's the thing. I went from Marlebone to East London, and not the good East London, like where the Olympics were, like the really shit East London. <laughs> and so here I am, this posh Cambridge girl. Like, hello, <laughs> might I get some bacon? <laughs> I like to ball so hard. <laughs> Please, sir, may I ball some yeah. more? Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> and so here I am in East London, like, ooh, you are a sexy ting. And I'm like, am I? Thank you. London is great. <laughs> but so he's code switching and I'm like, mate, you are an inspector in Scotland Yard. Two things. Our beautiful Valentine. My funny Valentine. 
Sweet comic Valentine. Was not a Scotland Yard inspector. Scotland Yard inspectors came from the Oxbridge set. So they would they would have been upper classes. Especially inspectors. So he did not have to code switch. And the fact that he did either would have annoyed people like Jane and Humphreys or would have been like, what the fuck are you trying to do? It's like those like white guys who get really into rap and then try and sound like rappers and you're like, Nope. Oh hard. We no. have a we have a name for you and it's not a compliment. <laughs> So they also end up reasoning out that Mickey was the target all along. Huh. Mickey. Mixta. Mickarino. The Mickarino. <laughs> Definitely probably the target. <laughs> Jane goes snooping. She finds Muddy's pictures. She finds some clip-on ties in the twins room. And in Malinkowski... I still spelled it wrong. This is the third time I've spelled it, it wrong. Matter. She finds the uh, Nazi paraphernalia cigarette case just chilling in his drawer. In a library-ish room, Miss Marple finds Lady Sedgwick, and she is wearing a necklace that Miss Marple and Jane had seen in a, on a lady in one of Mickey's paintings. Miss Sed, uh, lady Sedgwick confesses that she and Mickey used to be married back when she was very young. And Elvira, um, they kind of talk it out. Uh, how uh, Elvira was definitely her dad's daughter. But she knew all about this former marriage anyway, and she didn't know how to bring it up. Miss Marple suggests that they go intimidate the lawyer together. I love it. As a mother-daughter bonding exercise. Sure. Uh, The lawyer shows up in the book, but he's actually one of the good characters. Like, (laughs) it's kind of weird. So, once again, all the characters from the book show up in the TV show. They give them different motivations, and and they add extra characters. The only part of this television show that shows up in the book is that Michael Goleman is the victim. (laughs) They go, they do go to Curtin, and they storm in, and they find him burning papers because he was embarrassed. They find him committing fraud. <laughs> I love it. I wish we could just walk into people committing fraud. Like, we would get rid of 45 so quickly. <laughs> I mean, while I uh, like your honesty, I'm pretty confident we have already walked in on him committing fraud at this point. <laughs> yeah, but you know what the ditto heads would say. Ditto heads being the people who call into Rush Limbaugh show and just say ditto. Before asking that question. Anyway, back to the mystery. What mystery? We know what happens. Uh, we, yeah, really honestly. Okay, I'm not going to talk about it. We're going to finish out the plot. We're going to finish out the plot because it's not fair. We don't have much to go. Bird walks in just as Lady Sedgwick was going to administer her own brand of justice. And he arrests uh, Curtin because he thinks Curtin killed Mickey, whose name I Golden. forgot. Yeah. And Jane is there for some reason, because she just is. And she recognizes the Rembrandt in his study as the one from the hotel, not a copy of the one from the mm. hotel. Then they go back to the uh, hotel itself, and the Vermeer is missing, and Miss Marple has her for real aha moment about being in two places at once. Yep. Before she can do anything like accuse the real killer, Muddy comes in waving papers, and Malinkowski, this says Malinkowski, Malnokowski, wow. because that's who I am as a person, draws his gun on the priest that we knew was a secret Nazi, secret Nazi. Oh, and who says just a bunch of bullshit German words, like, yeah, like, what the fuck was this? Just, it... He's saying like, you, you Jewish pig, and 
this, that, and another. I definitely caught Shisa a couple yeah, times. That but one he's not saying full sentences. But it comes out that the Rembrandt was originally owned by Muddy's father and was in his family, which this guy had was a famous butcher. Not so the butcher, butcher of Riga. The butcher of which Riga, which is in Latvia. I did know that they have a hockey team. Uh, but it comes out that not only is the Rembrandt from Muddy's family, um, a Blake guest. That term that came up is actually a room let to a Nazi on the run. So Humphreys was helping Nazis escape. Mm -hmm. So then we have, you know, your stereotypical cozy mystery. Everybody's sitting around in the boardroom trying to figure out what happened. And I liked this one. It was cute because it started out kind of with Inspector Bird and then it, but it mostly ended up being Jane. Miss Miss Marple is just knitting while Jane's doing the whole thing. Mm Um, but it comes out that Tilly was murdered before the hat was put on. That's why her hair is so messy underneath it. The reason, so the reason you wear a hat Mm -hmm. pin is so you don't have to smush your hat on your head. You can place it delicately on your hairstyle and just have the hat pin in. That's one of those things that a 1950s girl would notice, like your hair being messy Mm -hmm. in your hat. They figured out very quickly that the twins were up to no good, but it wasn't murder. They were the jewel thieves. Oh, no. Who could have guessed? But Tilly was murdered to keep something a secret. And so is Mickey. And that secret was that Mickey and Bess never got divorced. So Bess committed bigamy, which is still against the law, even today. Which is, yeah, I mean, along with murder. I mean, fucking hell, along with murder, but, you know, bigamy. (laughs) And so the reason the bigamy was important was because she would lose out on the fortune since she wasn't really married legally. And more important even than that was Elvira would lose out on the fortune because it was stipulated that it would go to the daughter of my first Mm. marriage, which never legally happened. So Bess pulls out her gun and she's waving it around and she's like, you won't take me alive. No, she doesn't actually say that, but she's very yeah, like. it's implied. Miss Marple's like, hold on there, Bess. Hold on. You didn't kill anyone. You're trying to protect your daughter. Dun, dun, dun. The daughter is the, the, uh, the daughter is the killer in the book as well. Ooh. So, not wrong. The daughter did it because she loves her friend that she fucked up so much with the polio. And she In the still book, the daughter did it because she finds out that her mother never divorced Michael Gorman. So she kills Michael Gorman so that they both can, they inherit. Both can inherit. Because the only two inheritors are the mother and the daughter. In, in the book. But I did really like this this bit from Miss Marple specifically where she goes, where Elvira's trying to pass off her, you know, I did it for Bridget. I did it for good reasons. And Miss Marple goes, no, young lady, there's nothing good about what you did at Bertram's hotel. That I like that. In the book, she talks, uh, the inspector, um, who is not Larry Bird in the book, but in the book, Inspector Davy talks about how beautiful Elvira is. And uh, Marple goes, yes, the children of Lucifer are often beautiful. So it's the same kind of feeling. Moralistic. But I actually, I mean, compared to, and I don't really, really want to compare every series that we watch, but compared to some of kind of the letdown endings of Midsummer and to the best endings of Father Brown, it was very nice to have that kind of, A, we got justice for everybody because Elvira definitely got arrested. And B, it was nice to have somebody to be like, no, your reasons are bullshit. You yeah. fuck, like, cool motive, still murder, <laughs> to put it in Brooklyn Nine-Nine yeah, terms. exactly. But, like, then I felt bad for Bridget. Well, she is an accessory. Like, I'm a little surprised she didn't get, get yeah. arrested, too. She probably, um, probably will plead down. But then, in the 1950s, they put, still put you in a sanatorium, which was an awful place to be, because she's handicapped and now she doesn't have a rich sponsor but they end up finding the vermeer in miss walker's piano because she has actually been the buyer this whole time for the story it's funny because she's like i hope i get my money back and i'm like bitch please (laughs) mooty has lost his entire family yeah bitch which was weird that they made the black person 
the I was I was a little annoyed by that. I think really what they were like is they were like, shit, we have to wrap up her storyline yeah. somehow. Yeah. Let's just write her in as the person buying yeah. the art. And the button on the episode is I thought was super cute. I really, really I thought it was Larry so cute. Larry Bud trying to ask Jane out and Jane going to I love Jane yeah. going to Marple and being like, Well, oh, are you getting married? No, we're we're living together just to see how it works out. I told him that. <laughs> Which Very in cute. in the television show they've known each other for like three days. In the book, they yeah. would have if they had existed in the book, they would have known each other for two weeks. So it's a little less like Romeo and Juliet. Although, would I move into someone with someone I knew for two weeks? Probably. <laughs> Especially if it's a place like London. Rent is expensive. <laughs> I don't know you that well, but you've got a steady yeah, job. Oh, you're in Spectre, <laughs> Scotland Yard. And you went to Cambridge. Yeah, we're, we're living together. So, did you figure it out? Yeah. Not, be- not because I had read the book, but because the main person who stood to gain from both deaths was Elvira. And it was Elvira's hat. I didn't recognize the hat. It was the hat she wore when she came in. Yeah, now that you say that, I like now I'm like, oh shit, it was Elvira's hat. <laughs> so I didn't figure it out. I was I thought I mean I obviously figured out the Nazi yeah. shit. But I thought the Nazi shit like I thought the Rembrandt art thing was the big thing. And because I like both Father Brown and Agatha Christie. I was like, there is no way that this is going to be a Nazi thing. So the Nazi thing is just a distraction. Let's look at something else. Did you like this episode? Um, A lot of people mentioned that watching this, it would be remarkably different from the book. And it is. The book centers on the robberies and the thievery. Like, in the book, there's like been a series of really high-profile robberies and things. And Bertram's Hotel is the main hub of those robberies. Like, they get planned there, and the person who owns it, like, runs all these things. And Bess is, like, one of the criminal masterminds. And Melinkowski's one of her, like, one of her helpers. And then Elvira happens to fall in love with him. And Elvira kills Michael because Bess is still married to him. So she thinks that because Bess, she won't get the... But at the very end of the book, Inspector Davy, and they call him Father. I love it. So Father says, but in the will, he names her specifically. He doesn't say the daughter of my first marriage. He names Elvira Blake. Mm. So she killed him for no reason. She would have gotten the money anyway. So the book has a sadder ending. But what's even funnier is Bess Sedgwick confesses to the murder and then kills herself. Oh my god, that's a very bleak ending. So did you like the episode, though? Did you enjoy this regardless of Yes, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm like comparing it to the book. Saying that, it is such a classic cozy mystery. Has all the elements, has all these weird subplots, these great characters, the inspector who... Is cute because he's like, could you explain yeah, it for those of us cute. who aren't as intellectually bright? You know, I actually really like this episode. Yeah, I I actually really enjoyed the cartoonish feel yeah. of it. I was a little thrown by it at first, but I definitely, you know, it leaned into mm. it and I appreciated mm. that it did that. If I hadn't, we hadn't watched that episode of Father Brown so <laughs> recently, I think I would have liked this episode I more. mean... Here's the thing. And that's nothing to say about yeah. the episode. It just felt like, holy shit, I literally just saw yeah. this plot. No, the, what's <laughs> weird is that any show set in the 1950s in Britain is going to have a Nazis episode. Secret yeah, Nazis. it's going to have a secret Nazis episode. You gotta sing it, Sabrina. You've got to Secret Nazis. Secret Nazis. Why do I go up? I am... <laughs> Harmony. We're doing a harmony. An alto at best when I sing, <laughs> but like I'm trying to be like I'm trying to be a soprano, and it's just not working. All right, you do the soprano, and I'll uh, do. How alto, about no? Okay? <laughs> no, come on, come on, just just on three. We're gonna do secret Nazis, okay? One, two, three. Secret, secret Nazi. You didn't. You didn't. I did. 
You'll hear All it right. when you hear it. I'll hear it. I did. I promise I did. I was just too high for you. <laughs> How did you like your wine? It's actually delicious. Good. I'm impressed. $5 little. How did you like your wine? Oh, it's okay. It's okay. So. It, it's a little much. I, so here's the thing. I've been sick for like two weeks, basically, basically since we last recorded. And I haven't finished the bottle of wine I did last week because I have not drank a lot. I haven't finished either. But here's a really funny thing. I did drink a glass out of a champagne glass. And when I went to like take it out of the refrigerator, the pressure was so much that it popped the cork that I had out into the refrigerator. And I don't know where it is. (laughs) So out of 10 or... Out of the nine Sabrina scale, what would you give your your five dollar little? Seven and a half. Nice. It needs a little time. Yeah, this definitely got better as it got more air in it, but it's still not fantastic. I'm gonna give mine a six okay. out of ten. Probably won't buy this. I one, mean, even on Sabrina. I will. Uh, it's a Riesling. <laughs> it was five dollars. Uh, <laughs> it was Riesling. That's all I really, really? care about. Since I'm not. A very big drinker. It's kind of like a five dollar Riesling is going to be just as good as a fifteen dollar Riesling. I did see a Sancerre <laughs> for sixteen dollars at Costco that I might pick up. Although I have Ooh, no, 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 big because spenders. I have a six dollar Blanc de Blanc for next episode. Spoilers. Uh, so next episode we will be watching season three, episode two. Ordeal by Innocence. And also reading. Because Sabrina has books. I will not. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Classlicity. And I'm at SDM Rights. And you can follow our official Twitter at Wine Murder Night. And you should absolutely do that because that is how we pick the shows that we're going to watch next. So we watch five episodes of every series and then we let our listeners vote. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can listen to us on Spotify. And you should absolutely tell your friends and Honestly, probably your parents because they watch Cozy Mysteries because half the people, half the mysteries on our list I get from my mom. And (laughs) if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, we will toast to you. Yes, that would be next episode. As always, we would like to say what, Sabrina? Uh, To Anton Kuryakov, who wrote The Simple Life off the album Restart. It is our theme song, and we love it greatly. It is pretty much the theme song to a cozy mystery. Till next time! Bye!